0: Today on Telling the Truth, Stuart Briscoe continues a series about thinking clearly in a messed up world, and he shows you how to think clearly about authority. Stuart gets started in just a moment. Your partnership is vital to keep God's word going out all over the world through telling the truth. So as thanks for your support today, we'll send you Stuart Briscoe's six-message series, Thinking Clearly in a Messed-Up World. Request your copy when you give today. And discover how God's Spirit is working within you to renew your mind and transform your life, no matter what's happening around you. Call 1-800-889-5388. That's 1-800-889-5388. Or you can give online at tellingthetruth.org. Now, here's Stuart with Thinking Clearly About Authority. It's today's
1: Telling the Truth. We are going to continue and conclude our series based on Romans chapters 12 and 13. We have been basing our study on what we find written in the second verse of Romans 12. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We have been noticing that God wants to make sure that our minds are renewed by His truth that it is all too easy for us to be operating in our cultures without being aware of or alert to or responsive to what God has said. With that in mind, let me read to you the opening verses of Romans chapter 13. Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Now, those of you who are familiar with the New Testament, and particularly the life of the Lord Jesus, will remember that his opponents used to try to back him into a corner and put him in a no-win situation. For instance, on one occasion they brought to him a test question. And the question was, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? Seems an innocuous enough question until you realize what they had in mind. It was a no-win situation for him in actual fact, because if he had said, yes, it is lawful to pay taxes to Caesar, he would immediately have incurred the wrath of the the fiercely nationalistic people who are trying to overthrow Roman rule. If, on the other hand, he had said, no, you should not pay taxes to Caesar, of course, he would have run into problems with the Roman authorities and would immediately have been charged with sedition. It was a no-win situation. However, he was a master at handling those kind of things. He said, give me a coin. They brought him a Roman coin on which was an imprint of Caesar's head. And he looked at it, and he said, Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. Now, in so doing, he gave a rule of thumb that has been operative ever since. He identified, first of all, of course, that there is a place for respect for Caesar, for respect for government, for respect for the state. He also, of course, pointed out that there is a sense in which we render unto God the things that are God's. And the problem, of course, for the Christian is this, that as a citizen of heaven, living temporarily on earth, we have an allegiance to God and the kingdom of heaven, and we also have citizenship in a civic state, and we have allegiance to that too. And sometimes the two appear to be in conflict. Balancing the two out is therefore difficult. But the Lord gave us a system here, a principle here, that Paul further developed when he wrote to the Romans. Now clearly, as we'll see in just a moment, the situation under which Jesus lived in Palestine and under which the Romans lived in the city of Rome differed dramatically for the situation in which we find ourselves today. First of all, the situation in Palestine. Palestine, you remember, was inhabited by the Jewish people in the promised land that God had given them. You remember that they operated on the basis of a theocracy, which means that they acknowledged that the Lord was their Lord. They operated on the principle that He was the lawgiver, and acknowledging the Lord and His law was the fundamental basis upon which they lived their lives. Religious, spiritual, legal, political life was all inextricably bound up in one great big bundle called a theocracy. Now, the problem, of course, with this theocracy was that it was somewhat idealistic in that when it came down to the pragmatics of the thing, very often the people did not want to obey the Lord. Very often they did not want to acknowledge His law. And so they were constantly listening to the prophets who were reminding them of the consequences of breaking the divine law and of failing to live in terms of the divine covenant. They were warned that if they did not live in terms of the covenant, the judgment of God would come upon them, and there would be dire consequences. And of course, they did find themselves in exile and in difficult circumstances repeatedly. So there was a sense in which when Jesus was living in Palestine, the ruling principle was a theocratic, idealistic state. In practice, it wasn't always working. This, of course, is far removed from the situation in which we live today, for there is no suggestion for a fraction of a second that America is a theocracy, America is a democratic republic, and there the similarity ends. So the situation in Palestine was dramatically different from the situation that most of us would know from personal experience. As a result of this, various political parties had developed in Palestine in the first century. Let me identify two of them, two extremes for you. The Romans had put on the throne a puppet king, King Herod. He was utterly despised by the Jewish nationalists who saw him as a collaborator with the detested Romans. And they just wanted the Romans out, and they wanted Herod out of there as well. There were, however, some people who were essentially pragmatic people, worked on the old principle, if you can't beat them, join them. And so they realized that Herod was representative of Rome. They recognized that he was their puppet. He was their man. So they joined Herod, and there was the party called the Herodians. They were collaborators. The other end of the political spectrum, there were the zealots. They were the people who would do anything to get rid of the Romans. If you were in favor of what they were doing, they were hot-headed, they were violent, they would lay their lives on the line, they believed in bloodshed, they would do anything to get rid of the Romans. If you believed as they believed, you regarded them as being the quintessential freedom fighters. If you didn't believe in them, they were outright brutal, vicious terrorists. So on the one hand, you've got the Corodian collaborators. On the other hand, you've got the zealot freedom fighters, and in between all kinds of shades of political opinion. It's in this situation that the Lord Jesus refuses to get drawn into it, and he says, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. A very tricky situation indeed.
0: You're listening to Telling the Truth with Stuart and Jill Briscoe. Today, Stuart Briscoe is showing you how to think clearly about authority. Stuart will be right back with more in just a moment. The truth is that each day from every corner of the planet, we're reminded that things aren't how they're supposed to be, but the Bible offers hope for this brokenness. And in Stuart Briscoe's insightful six-message series, Thinking Clearly in a Messed-Up World, He'll help you see how God works in you to transform and renew your thoughts no matter what's going on around you. You'll dive into Romans 12 to discover how you can respond with wisdom and courage in today's most distressing circumstances. As you sharpen your mind and strengthen your heart through God's truth, you'll discover His grace for navigating the confusion and pitfalls of life in this fallen world thinking clearly in a messed up world is our thanks for your gift to help more people experience life through the resources and teachings of telling the truth so request your copy of Stuart's series when you give today 1-800-889-5388 that's 1-800-889-5388 or give online at tellingthetruth.org let's go back to stewart now on today's telling the truth for more about thinking clearly
1: about authority. Now what about the scene in Rome when Paul wrote to the Roman Christians and gave them these instructions? The situation there was dramatically different from the situation in Palestine, and of course dramatically different from the situation here as well. Rome was ruled by an elite group. It wasn't a democracy, it wasn't a theocracy, it was an oligarchy. That meant that there was a very small elite group who were in power. In that situation, you had a vast disenfranchised majority. The ruling group determined everything, and the majority simply went along or else. They had no political franchise, they had no political involvement, they had no political kraut whatsoever— This was the Rome that Paul was addressing. The Christians, when they emerged on the scene, were regarded by Rome as being a somewhat extreme Jewish sect. There were nothing more than that as far as the Romans were concerned. They didn't bother themselves with the niceties of Jewish theology. They weren't interested in the niceties and the nuances of Christian theology. Just so long as these Christians didn't cause too much trouble, that was all right by them. However, as time went on, the Christians began to put some distance between themselves as Judaism. Read the epistle to the Romans. Read the letter to the Galatians and the Jews began to resent and resist some of the Christian teaching, and the Christians became ostracized from the Jews. As a result of that, they lost the protection that Rome gave to the Jewish people, and the Christians now were exposed. The point of this is to remember that it was in that situation that these Roman Christians lived, and it was to them that the Apostle Paul gave these instructions. Now, as I said a few moments ago, you will recognize that their political situation was so different from that in which we live. And yet, in that situation, which was extremely difficult, they were given specific instructions. Let's now look at the biblical explanation as to how the Christian should respond to the state, found in Romans 13. There are two dominant themes here. The first one— is the role of the state. And the second one is a corollary to that, and that is the responsibility of the believer. We need to be clear on both these issues. Notice, first of all, in verse 1 of Romans 13, "'Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God.' Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. The first thing to notice is that the Christian is instructed by the Apostle Paul, that is the Roman Christian living in the situation I've just explained, he is instructed by the Apostle Paul to honor and respect government because it is appointed by God. Now that may need a little explanation. You remember that God not only created individuals, he invented society. In the same way that a building, if it is going to stand, requires a structure, so society, if it is going to stand and survive, requires societal structures. God is the ultimate authority. If society is going to survive, it needs God's authority delegated through divinely ordained structures. One of them is marriage and the family. If people are going to learn to respond appropriately to legitimate authority without which society cannot survive, they need to learn to respect authority. Where do they do that? By having parents who love them and care for them— and to whom they respond in respecting them, and honoring them, and accepting their authority. It is a divinely ordained structure. It is an authority structure delegated from God. In the same way, God has ordained government— This is something that God has said right from the very beginning is necessary if society is going to work, if it is going to operate. There has to be an authority structure that is divinely delegated authority so that human beings can live in society in an appropriate manner. Accordingly, the Christian understanding that has a high view of the state, has a high view of government. Now, immediately we're saying to ourselves, well, not the government we've got right now. Well, remember the governmental situation that these people were living in, in Palestine and in Rome at the present time. And they were told that they should honor and respect government as a societal structure ordained by God. The second thing that we notice from Paul's teaching is in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Let me read to you the opening verses of that chapter. I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Notice, The Christians not only respect government as a societal structure ordained by God, but Christians pray for those who are in positions of authority because the reason that they are there is that they are ordained by God to create an orderly environment. This orderly environment is to give people freedom to discover, to know, to worship, and to serve the living and true God. That's why government is ordained. That's what government is supposed to be doing. That is why we respect it. Now, if government is going to create an orderly environment, you've got to have some muscle. Therefore, it is no surprise to us to discover in Romans chapter 13 that God has not only ordained societal structures like government, but he has given authority to those structures to do two things. To reward those who do that which is good, and to punish those who do that which is wrong. Let me quote for you verses 3 and 4. Rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer.
0: Stuart, while the idea might seem okay, theocracies are not a great idea, are they? Well,
1: I didn't say that, I don't think. Um, If I did, I I misspoke because God is the one who has promised that finally uh, that's what we'll we'll have. That's how things are going to come together in the end. God will be all in all. A theocracy simply means that the power is in the hands of the theos, the god. If it is a uh, an oligarchy, then the power uh, is in a a, a small elite group. If it is a democracy, then the power is in the hands of the people, etc., etc. Churchill had a famous remark, He said, democracy is the worst possible form of government till you consider the alternatives. Now, theocracies, man-made theocracies, uh, are not a good idea at all because they do not reflect the true God, the living God, the God of grace and mercy and righteousness and justice. But one day, we will be part of a theocracy when God rules and reigns over a new heaven and a new earth.
0: Why are healthy marriages and families crucial to the survival of our society?
1: The marriage ceremony that uh, I use in an an old English uh, prayer book uh, does state quite categorically That human society can be strong and healthy only where the marriage bond is held in honor. Uh, That's a that's a very very strong dogmatic statement, but I uh, I use that in when I'm invited to preside over a a marriage ceremony Uh, because I I believe it is true, and uh, I I'll, I'll tell you why. Um, The the whole idea of marriage is is predicated on the idea of mutual commitment. If the idea of commitment is weakened, then society begins to fray around the edges. That's one reason why marriage is important for the well-being of society. Now, of course, the the great tragedy of our age is the incidence of divorce, where faithfulness and commitment uh, are thrown out the window. Uh, we've got to recognize uh, that this has very negative uh, impact on society as a whole, and not least in the experience of the children in uh, marriages, the children in families. Many, many people will say children are very resilient and they will manage and they will adapt to the new situation. I, I don't disagree with that, but I do disagree if people say that the children are not damaged. And one of the great damages that I have seen repeatedly in the children of divorce is that they have extreme difficulty with stable relationships themselves very infrequently. And this all contributes to the fraying, the unraveling of the society of which we are a part.
0: Before we go, remember that when you give this month to keep telling the truth broadcast like this one going out around the world, we'll send you Stuart Briscoe's six message series, Thinking Clearly in a Messed Up World to help you understand how God's Spirit works in you, to transform you and renew your thoughts, no matter your circumstances. So call now to give, and remember to request your copy of Thinking Clearly in a Messed-Up World with our thanks. 1-800-889-5388. 1-800-889-5388. Or you can give online at tellingthetruth.org. Tomorrow, Stuart Briscoe looks again at how we can think clearly about those in authority over us. That's next time here on Telling the Truth with Stuart and Joel Briscoe. Thanks for listening.